speakers, and I'm hoping that it will add value to you. Uh, let me go back and share with you a little bit of my background. So I was an actor in Canada in the theater for about 15 years when I was younger. And I left that life behind, moved to Asia, became a corporate communications trainer, went on and became a global speaker. And I now coach a lot of global speakers. I also coach a lot of senior executives in their speeches. And I find myself constantly saying to speakers, let's go back to the audience journey. Let's go back to your audience journey. And I realize that I haven't really left that life behind. In fact, I realize that what is responsible for this success is really the audience journey. And this is what I want to share with you today. But instead of telling you what it is, let me bring you back to how I discovered it myself. Because I did not learn the audience journey in corporate. I learned it a long time before that as an actress. Now let me take you back to when I was 22 years old, about 4,000 light years ago. <laughs> and I was playing Joan of Arc on stage. Now, we're not going to go into the whole play. Most of you know the story. And Joan, dressed as a man, leads the French army through battle. And let me take you to the last scene where I'm on trial for treason. And I understand that my fate is going to be to be burned alive at the stake. She's not such a good teacher. <laughs> I then get wind that you're going to be forgiving with me. And I'm very, very happy because freedom sounds a lot better than being burned alive at the stake. Some of you may also agree with me. <laughs> Suddenly, the verdict is announced, my sentence is given to me, and I'm told that my sentence is a lifetime in a dungeon, in jail. I'm 19 years old, and my lines are these three lines. I say perpetual imprisonment, am I not then to be set free? Light your fire. And then I go on and I have this monologue, this me, basically saying, are you kidding me? You think being in a dungeon for my entire life, never seeing the, the sun or feeling the wind or riding a horse, you call this a life? Come on, what are you talking about? And the director calls me over. He says to me, Mariana, I want you to play this scene differently. He says, when you hear your sentence is perpetual imprisonment, I want you to listen, and you ask, perpetual imprisonment, am I not going to be set free? You see on their faces that, no, you will never be set free. You don't argue. You know this is a done deal. I want you to take as long as you need to digest what this means to you. And then when you realize the fate that is to be your life, you simply ask them to please light the fire. And you deliver the monologue like that. You just want to be taken to the fire now. And I said to the director, in my 22-year-old self, like, isn't this going to be not dramatic? I was going to try and change the jury's mind. Isn't that more exciting? He said, my dear, let me ask you a question. And I'm going to ask you the very same question he asked me. He said to me, which do you think is more compelling 
for an audience. To watch a young woman, probably the same age as many of their children, argue and try to change someone's mind. <laughs> Parents here. <laughs> or to watch a young woman, the same age as their children, ask to be taken to a fire where she will stand up and ask for herself to be burned alive, which is a more compelling journey for the audience. Now, I'd like to ask you, if you think it's number one, point that way. If you think it's number two, point that way, please, right now. Now look around, what do we see? Okay. So we see everybody pointing this way, and he was right. There was not a sound in the audience. You could hear a pin drop. But you see, I could never have come up with that because I was a character. I was too embroiled in my character, in the content of the play. I was not able to play the role. The director prays to one God, the audience. The director reports to one boss, the audience. The director is that link between them and the words. Now, this is not unlike what you do or what I do as a speaker or what you do as speech writers, so think about it. There are basically three roles we all play. First of all, first of all, there is the writer. In the theater, the person who writes the play or the film, for you, the speech writer, the person who gathers the content, that's the information, decides what will go in, what will not go in, in what order. And then the second role is in the theater, the actor, or the speaker, the person you're writing for. And that's that part of you that's thinking about how they'll say it, what their tone will be, what kind of voice they're going to use, whether they're going to likely deliver it with gravitas, or whether they're going to create a, a little sense of intimacy, and when those are going to happen, and the volume, the speed, and all of that stuff. And then there's the director. Now, let's get this out of the way. Who's this? Shout out. Spielberg, who's this? She's Australian. She just won an Oscar, I think, two days ago. Who? Jane, Jane Campion, that's right. Who's this? Hitchcock. Who's that up there in the left? On the right. Where's our French speaker? Who is that? Truffaut. And who's this down here? American's Jodie Foster. Now notice we always see directors looking directly in the camera. And if they're not looking in the camera like Hitchcock, they're making a camera with their hands. Now why are we doing that? We know why they're doing that. Because they are only interested in the journey that the audience is going to be taken. That's all they want to see. They don't care about the larger scene. They care what is that journey the audience is getting only. In the theater, they are the boss. They are the first person who speaks, the last person who speaks. They are the god of the show. They can see what we can't see because they're out of the content. They're out of the characters and they're into that audience journey. Now, I'd like to ask you to consider where you spend most of your time writing a speech. Let's take those three roles. Do you spend most of your time as the writer, the creator, or the content, or thinking about that person who will be delivering and how they'll be speaking, 
or the director creating a journey. I'm going to invite you to go to Menti with your phones. Please do it quickly and get off your phones when we've done this. Don't start texting. <laughs> go to menti.com. Please uh, use the QR code or go to that voting code and let me know your answer. Now you can give me two answers there. You don't have to give me one. Maybe what are the top two roles that you play? Okay, let's see what you said. Yeah, you can see it up on top. It's menti.com, M-E-N-T-I dot com. Do you want me to go back? M-E-N-T-I dot com. Voting code is right at the top there. Okay. You can put in two answers if you want. Okay, keep going. We've got 40 people. Let's keep going. How many people are there? 82. 82. So let's keep going a little bit longer. 47 people. We've still got a few more of you. Menti.com. Okay. Now, regardless of what audience I do this for, whether they're speakers or speechwriters, it's always like this. The director is the largest. And today, I want to see if I can convince you to bring out a little bit more of the director in you. Because after all, even though you're writing for your God, the speaker who's going to be doing his God is the audience. So you're really secondhand writing for the audience. So let's try and put in a little bit of director into the way we think. Okay, that works surprisingly well. Um, I'm going to ask you to be a director now. Let's imagine you have created a movie, you've completed the whole movie, but you haven't yet decided how to end it. I'm going to show you the movie, and I'm going to invite you to sort of watch it, not as an audience member, but as the director thinking about the journey the audience is going to take, and then you're going to choose the ending. Everybody ready? Here we go. Here's your movie.
three endings. And as I share them with you, try and see them as a journey that the audience is taking. And think about where you leave the audience at the end. First ending. We see the boy pushing the mother in a wheelchair. We cut to school the next day. Boy knocks. Teacher says, come in. Boy goes in. He holds out his hand. Teacher beats him. And the boy goes and sits down. Cut. So where have you taken your audience right now at the end as they leave the theater? What are they feeling? Feeling, we heard this morning a lot about that boy. What are they feeling about children? About the teacher, about the institutions? What are they feeling about the world that we live in? Ending number two. We see the boy pushing the mother with the wheelchair. We see the teacher walk by. Teacher turns, teacher sees the boy, sees the mother, looks for quite a long time. Close up on the teacher's face. Cut to school the next day. Boy knocks. Teacher says, come in. Boy walks in. Boy holds out his hand. Teacher looks at the boy for a long time. Picks up the ruler, beats the boy. Boy goes, boy sits down. Okay, now, where have you just taken the audience? What are they feeling about the boy, about children, about the institution of education, about teachers, about the world that we live in? How are they feeling as they leave? Ending number three. Boy pushes the mother. We see the teacher walk by. Teacher turns. Teacher sees them. Teacher sees the mother close up on the teacher as he looks, watches, cut to the next day. Boy knocks on the door. Teacher says, come in. Boy holds out his hand. Teacher looks at the student for a long time and wraps his arms around the boy and hugs him. Cut. Where have you taken your audience? What are they feeling about the boy, about education, about the teacher, about teachers, about teachers, teachers, about the world that we live in today? Could you please go back to Nancy? Two, and we got, we got some number ones. 
Somebody from number one, please share. I'm going to say right here, right here, Would somebody like to share why they chose number one? Why they chose, doesn't see him, beats him. Yes, over here, Harris. Okay? Very quickly, please, because we, we don't have so much time. Saudis? How am I going to get 
be more open. I don't want them as an end state to run out of my talk and immediately go home and euthanize their parents. That's not what happened. <laughs> but I do want them to sort of have a feeling of, okay, I get it. I get it. Now, I know Saudis because I rented rooms out of my house to Saudis, and I remember one day this one Saudi, when I cut my finger, didn't say anything, and I said, Marwan, say something, and he said, what did I say? I said, what do you say in Saudi Arabia when your mother is cooking and she cuts her finger? And he said, oh, no, my mother very good cook. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, Marwan, what do you say when your sister is cooking? She said, no, 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 my sister very good cook. In my country, everybody very good cook. All the women very good cook. So I knew that Saudi males really, their mother is somebody they bow down to as the head of the household. I know that. So I started my speech talking about mothers, their mothers. Didn't even touch on euthanasia, didn't even talk about it, didn't even put it in the title. Talk to them about mothers. I wanted in the journey to get all those Saudi males to start thinking about how great their mothers were. And then I said, can I share a little bit about my mother? They said, yeah, now we're connected. I said, my mother was just like yours. And then she got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And, and then she started chemo, and, and she lost control over her ability to, to cook. She couldn't stand the smell. And, and then she gradually was so tired, she stayed in a lot. She lost control over her, her social life. And then she was really tired all the time and spent a lot of time in bed. And she lost control over her time and her authority. And then she became very thin and, and wrinkled and she lost control over her, her femininity. And, and then she was in bed all the time and she couldn't control her bowels and her, her husband, my stepdad, had to clean up her, her poop and she lost control of all of her dignity and, and then she chose a date and in changing that date she took back a tiny bit of control and then she decided who she was going to see before that date and in what order and she took back a bit more control and then she decided what she was going to wear and she sent someone to buy her a gown and she took back a bit more control. And then the day before that date, she had a hairstylist come and do her hair, and someone come and do her nails, and her toenails. And she took back some control over her feminine image. And then she decided where she was going to sit and who would be beside her. And when she left this world, she left back in control of her life, choices and the home that she lived in. And when I got to that stage of the journey, do you think I needed a lot of data? <laughs> Not that much. And the data that I did give resonated deeper because I had taken them on a journey that they were not even aware of. The journey I needed to take them on to get them where I needed to be. By the way, this was not the audience, but this was their attitude when they walked in towards euthanasia. Now, I want to share with you um, a case study. This time, this is a true a 
an audience and you deposit them somewhere, to get to this place, you have to first get them here. To get them here, you have to get them here. To get them here, you have to get them here. Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's pit stops. See if you can see the pit stops we created. This was the regional manager of a large IT company. I'm not going to name names. <coughs> he had to speak to all of the engineers in the region, in the organization. And this was a group, another group of predominantly male engineers. And when he brought me in, he said, you know what, Marianne, I want to give this keynote to these guys. And he said, I love these guys, but we have a problem. He said, you know, these engineers, they are very um, male, very aggressive, very competitive. They're smart. They're high potentials. They are, they know they're smart. They're cocky. And we have a little problem. He said, they jump into solutions so quickly, they don't really think about the problem very deeply. And because of that, we're finding mistakes made. We sometimes have to go back and go back to the beginning or redo or there are steps that are missed because they don't think through the problem. They're so quick to get results. He said, I told them this. They know this. I said, so what's the problem? He said, well, collectively they know it's a problem, but none of them individually feels that they solve problems too quickly. They feel they are smart. He said, but this time, he said, I've got a great idea. I'm going to show them a lot of data. About, about the effects and about how much money it's costing the company. And this time, I'm going to talk more severely to them. And I've got a great quote. He said, when I finish, I'm going to show them this quote. That I'm going to do it. <laughs> I said to him, okay, so these are guys that you've talked to before. They haven't heard. They don't think they're responsible. But you think now with a more aggressive tone and a quote from Einstein, that's going to get them where you want them. And he said, no, no, that's why you're here. <laughs> I said, okay, what's the end state you want them in? Where do you want them? He said, I want them to leave. I want them to feel they are, and this is what he said, problem detectives. I said, okay. And yet they already think they are. Yes, 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 he said. Well, we're going to have to make a little journey for these guys. Now, I'll show you what we ended up with. And you see, you can see the stages of the journey. So he starts out, he says, guys, you know, he says, you know, you're wonderful. You know, you're wonderful. I'm so happy to be working with you. You're smart. You're, 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 you're hardworking. And I just give, applaud you all for the work you've done this year. I'm so grateful to have you in the organization. First part of the journey, we know the engineers are all feeling good. I'm just smart. I'm needed. I'm wanted. <laughs> then he says, you know, Interestingly, you guys remind me of me when I was young, when I worked for an electric company, the National Electric Company in the Philippines. He said, um, we had a problem we just couldn't solve. Can I share it with you? Now, as soon as he says that, where is the audience? What are they thinking right now and feeling? Again? We're going to fix it. Yeah, we're going to fix it. Yeah, we can solve it. Bring it on. Tell us. We'll, fit. we'll solve it. We love problems. So, he says, I worked for the electric company, and we had a problem. We had, you know, towers at the top of the mountain, and one day, head office sends down this new policy, uh, no civilians are allowed within 100 meters of the tower. This was a big problem for us, because this tower 
mentioned there was a very popular hiking trail. Every weekend, hikers came climbing up that mountain, thousands. We didn't know how we were going to stop them, so we sit down at the table, we scratch our heads, and we decide, of course, we'll just put a barrier across the, at the 100 meter below the top mark that says stop. <laughs> of course it didn't work. He said, we go back to the table, we sit down again, that didn't work, what else can we do? I know, let's put one of the signs up that shows the voltage, you know the ones that show a guy with a, you know, like getting electrocuted? We'll put that, the big danger sign, and we'll also put a sign that says fine, a thousand dollars, a thousand dollar fine. Did it work? Yes or no? Of course not. People kept going, right? They go back to the table and say, okay, we need something harsher. What about a security guard? So they decided they would put a security guard posted at the 100 meters below the top mark. Did it work? Yes or no? No. Now, where's the audience now? What's the audience thinking now, these engineers? What are they thinking? What kind of things are they thinking in their head? Somebody shout it out. Well, the offense, what else? Looking at other solutions. Looking at other solutions. What kind of solutions are these engineers coming up with? Moving the mountain. Moving the mountain. <laughs> Moving the tower. Uh, I think possibly, what else? What else? Electric fence, what else? So we got moving the tower, electric fences. Changing the path, deviating them. Explain why you can't go. Explaining, a big explanation, why you can't go, all of that sort of stuff. Change the laws. Change the laws, change the laws. <laughs> so they're coming up, we know, we knew their audience is coming up with aggressive kind of solutions. And then he says, yeah, you know, nothing works. So we, we sat down again, and suddenly the youngest guy on our team asks a question, he says, why do these hikers have to get to the top anyway? It's only another hundred meters. Mm -hmm. Oh, he said, well, you know, hikers, you know what they're like. They like to go to the top. They like to take selfies. It's all, you know, put it on Instagram. Look at us, you know. <coughs> we've reached, you know, a million. We've climbed a million kilometers. All of a sudden, we stopped talking. There was silence in that room. He paused. Now what's going on on the journey of the engineers in their mind? What are they thinking now? Build a cafe. Build a cafe, a platform. You just have to say that it's a sign that says congratulations to you. <laughs> and then he says, that's what we did. We put up a sign that said congratulations to you to the top and it worked and everybody stopped. <laughs> now he's got these cocky engineers realizing that they do solve problems quite quickly. And now he's earned the right to come in and say, you know what, guys? Most valuable lesson I learned that day is that sometimes the smartest guy in the room is cursed with being a little too quick on the problem-solving trigger. We solve problems a little bit too quickly. I learned that lesson. It was the best lesson I ever learned. And guys, I want to share with you 
We all have to learn that right now. Now he's earned the right to bring in the data, the cost of the company, because he's brought them on a journey where they feel the boss also makes mistakes. The boss has just turned them into the smartest guy in the room for making the mistakes. And they've also been on a journey where they realize they do solve problems too quickly. And this is actually the piece of paper, the piece of paper we drew out the initial journey on with this, um, with this uh, leader. This was the actual piece of paper I took from my notebook. So this is the audience journey. I use this for every talk that I create. I naturally think from the director first as I learn in the theater. I, I do this with all kinds of corporate leaders. I haven't done it with politics. I don't have experience in that arena, but I'm wondering how might you apply it in your work? May I ask you just take one more second at Menti and how are we doing your time with that? Um, we have about eight minutes. Oh, okay. We're, we're good. So put it on Menti. And how can you apply this in your work? Um, I've learned so much from you guys just in this day and a half about writing for politicians. It's not like seeing hugging. Sorry? It's not like seeing hugging. Lots of seeing and hugging. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. There. Is that better? Yep. Yeah, I'm so used to virtual. I, I was scared I was going to ask you to write in a chat box or something. <laughs> just share with me what application this has. If any of it doesn't, say this does not apply to me at all. I'd be fine with that. We're all learning together. Is it working? starting with a universe, and that's really when I coach TEDx speakers, we, we always look at what your subject matter means universally. That's how you get to be a, a, a multi-million view TEDx speaker. Build connection to the audience. 
used for discussions about the objective of the speech, well, you focus on the storytelling aspect, yeah, which we've heard a lot about this morning, and we've heard about the feeling aspect too. Think like a director. Interesting, stop thinking about the speaker first. I don't know if that's true. I don't do what you do. Um, in France, speech writers are not seen as directors. Communication directors see themselves as the director. Who can announce me? Is there any questions? Yes, let's leave that for now. Thank you very much for those comments. Let me bring this back. Yes, and I'll leave this up there. Um, oh, I'll show you the ending later. I know you want to see the ending. We have to see the ending also. Okay. Should we see the ending first? Yes. yes. Okay. Ready?